was talking with a, a friend of mine many, many years ago when I lived in uh, San Francisco. And she was like, dude, you should be really proud of what you what, what you guys accomplished, you know, especially growing up in a, uh, you know, such an isolated place. And I was like, yeah, you know what? You're right. Like, you're absolutely right. It was, it was like a moment in time that's never going to happen again like that. It's just like a creative flash and then it's over, mm -hmm. you know, and, and then it had to, it, you gotta, you gotta move on because it's going to be something else, right? Like somebody else has their time now, you know? That was Josh Metzger, and in the mid-90s and early 2000s, he documented the Alaska punk scene. He started out as a fan, attending as many shows as he could, and then he began documenting the scene. For about three years, he wrote for the University of Alaska Anchorage student paper, The Northern Light, the city's alt-weekly, The Anchorage Press, and for his own publication, Noise, Noise, Noise. Articles, interviews, anything he could do to help tell the story of punk in Alaska. The scene was so vibrant, and the energy was so infectious, that he felt a responsibility to capture as much as he could. There were bands with names like Skate Death, Psychedelic Skeletons, and Filipino Haircut. There were bands interested in the occult, bands interested in performance art, and bands interested in making genuine punk music. There was even a band that lit themselves on fire. And they were all performing in venues, and eventually warehouses. But for it all to be sustainable, there needed to be the right mix of culture bearers and promoters. Bands that created the music, venues that hosted shows, an alt-weekly newspaper that promoted the shows, and a college radio station that played the music. It was a mixture that sometimes worked out and sometimes didn't. When it worked out, the scene would flourish. When it didn't, the scene would fade. Josh looks back on that time as some of the happiest moments of his life. He remembers going into local music stores and buying local music. How special it was to buy a tape and listen to a local band, knowing that these musicians were walking the same streets that he walked. They understood his interests and his point of view. So here he is, Josh Metzger. Welcome to Chattermarks, a podcast of the Anchorage Museum, dedicated to exploring Alaska and the Circumpolar North through the creative and critical thinking of ideas, past, present, and, and future. future. My name is Cody Liska, and I'll be your host. How would you describe your relationship with the Alaska punk music scene? <laughs> um, that's a very good question. I, uh, I don't know. I, it's just kind of, kind of part of me. I don't really, there, there's not a day that I don't, uh, think about it. And I, I haven't lived in, I haven't lived in Alaska for 22 years, you know, mm -hmm. it's just kind of, well, I think that was probably the best time of my life. It was, uh, there, there was just so much, so much going on, uh, and it it wasn't just music either. I mean, there were uh, there was like uh, performance artists, uh, lots of visual art in Anchorage, and it, there just seemed to be like I don't know, like like a confluence of really interesting people uh, doing interesting things all at the same time, you know. And we all mm -hmm. uh, we were all friends with each other, 
and uh yeah it was it was just it was something i can't i can't really ex explain it <laughs> it was it, it was kind of like you had to be there you know what i mean it's yeah it's a cliche but it's just so so true i was actually talking with somebody about that yesterday this guy i knew uh from back then and uh yeah it, it's it, we were just marveling at how different it was what were you guys talking about we were talking about how it was just so scrappy, you know? Um, again, I, I don't mean to sound like the old guy, but uh, it was just, it was different. Like you didn't, you, you, you didn't have uh, as, as much information coming at, coming at you and you didn't have surefire way to, to get to know people who are like you. So like it, so if you walked down the street and you saw somebody with a uh, uh, damned t-shirt or with the you know a mohawk or whatever uh, or if they had like their hair dyed different colors like you knew that that person was going to be interesting and probably end up being friends with that person but now you can't really you can't really say that and it's it's just so I don't know like integrated into the culture now uh, it became less special, you know, became more accessible, you know, yeah. something that, that struck me as I was, um, you know, doing my research for this conversation is that if you wanted to see these bands play, you had to go to a venue, <laughs> you had to be there, you had to be part of it. Yeah, no, it there was I'm trying to I'm trying to Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, you mean like everybody everybody buying into the to the scene? Yeah. Yeah. So there was yeah, that, that that's a good point. Like for example, I don't know if you had read about Gigs, uh Gigs Music Theater, which is the full name of it. Mm -hmm. It's uh it was down there on 4th Avenue uh next to the Hub. I don't know if the Hub is still there, but that was a crazy crazy uh, bar like where people would just like smash bottles on their uh, on on someone's head and stuff like that. So they would wander oh, down, yeah, and then they'd wander <laughs> into the all ages, you know, punk venue. It was pretty bizarre, but anyway, uh, yeah, it was down there on Fourth Avenue, and um, I I want to say it opened in 1994, I think, uh, maybe 95, but anyway, definitely 95, 96, 97. Um, just a couple of years in there, you could go. You you could go down there any any week uh, uh, weekend Friday Saturday or Sunday, mm -hmm. and, and just see something amazing, and it's I, I can't tell you how exciting it was. It's um, I don't know. You just you, you you go in there and you're in your safe place and you can be with the people you want to be with and and listen to the kind of music and have the kind of conversations that you want to have, and the the older i get and the you know more places i visit um in in the us around the world it, it's it's so rare that 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 you can have that sort of um like authentic uh natural gathering of people mm -hmm. and like i'm not saying it wasn't you know always unpretentious i mean you know young people uh but it was it was very just like grassroots and like not a lot of um egos and not a lot of 
posing, I guess you could say. Like everybody, everybody who was there was was in it, like for the long haul, and and you could just tell. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it was just yeah, like you could feel it. It, it was palpable. I I thought anyway. I wonder if you can maybe give a general description or maybe a specific one, if you can think of it, of walking into gigs. Huh. Um, well, so, all right. So I'm, I'm just going to throw out some names and situations that you might not know, but I'm just going to like, I, don't know, I guess, paint the picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So December 1995, just throwing out a date. Right, so you'd walk in. Um, there was a like a top floor where the younger kids would hang out. So like nineteen ninety five, I was twenty twenty two, twenty two, twenty two, twenty three. So I was probably right in the middle, like age wise. There were, you know, quite a few people who were you know, pushing thirty, but they, they kinda went more to to chill coots and stuff. Um, but I mean, they, like they were in bands and they would still show up to gigs, but like you, you, I don't know if this is answering your question, but you had like a wide range of, uh, of ages, right? So for example, uh, if you had a, a band like, uh, chaos, AK, uh, K A O S A K, right. Then they became G F Y later. Right. So th- those guys and their friends, uh, like they, they kind of skewed young, uh, right. So you might see like a 15 year old kid hanging out with somebody like BMAC mm-hmm. who was, I don't know, like 29, 30 at the time. And it's just so, it was just so weird, but really cool because you can get, um, you know, all sorts of different perspectives. Uh, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, but so back to your question, um, like you'd go in to gigs um, you go on in the upstairs place, there was, uh, like couches and stuff. Like there was, there wasn't a pool table, but there was like some sort of game thing, but you'd see, uh, teenagers playing, uh, what's it, what was the game? Oh, oh, uh, uh, magic, the gathering and all of these things, mm-hmm. but they're more like what, what they <laughs> makes me sound snotty. They were more like what they would consider goth at the time. Okay. Right? So, you know, listen to Marilyn Manson, playing magic, black hair, and, you know, it, it's, it's fine. It, it, it's, it's different than what I knew as goth growing up in the 80s, but, but it, it was their thing. It wasn't my thing. But uh, downstairs was where the stage was, and you'd go in on, like, on a Saturday or whatever, and you'd see... Um, so Liquid Band-Aid was, was one of the bands I just really, really, really loved. Um, that we, I've known those guys since forever. And uh, they, they would always be playing at gigs. So you come in, you know, 9 o'clock on a Saturday or whatever. And uh, Rex would be up there with his, uh, and like, double mohawk and stuff. And Trey would be, excuse me, playing the guitar. And it's just this, like, ungodly... Uh, noise like melodic noise mm-hmm. and then this fellow named craig who had uh had uh, become an alaskan via uh los angeles he's on the drums and we're there just like sweating and everyone's 
losing their mind. And it was, uh, it was just really beautiful. We, we, uh, we would go out and see them all the time. And that, so that was just like one example. And uh, uh, Trey and Rex have been kicking around for a long, long time, uh, uh, even before that. And uh, actually, they're Trey and Rex, all of the people who were, were close to them and were like in their little scene, right? There, there were like little mini scenes within the scene. You know what I mean? Yeah, like little clicks, but but not not in a not in a bad way, just like little crews, you know. Yeah. So Trey's crew, Trey and Rex's crew, um, they sort of they sort of congregated at Rex's shop, which was uh, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent. So Rex <laughs> had a shop called The Extreme, right? T H E E Extreme. Okay. And it was on uh, Fifth Avenue, and. Um, we we would all just go and hang out, listen to records, and uh, play with his dog, and the, yeah. But we um, we were really more of a Trey and Rex kind of uh, group than a gigs group. I'm I'm just gonna rewind a little bit. So back in 1990, I want to say. Um, Trey, uh, uh, Trey Wolf is his name, just so, just so you know. Okay. Rex Ray, Trey Wolf. They were in the Liquid Band-Aid band. They played every weekend at gigs. Um, they, they were like one, like one of the mainstays of the Alaska punk scene. But anyway, I'm shifting gears. They're going back to 1990. <laughs> so in 1990, there, as far as I could tell, and, and I was a junior in high school then, uh, as far as I could tell, there wasn't a lot going on. Um, I was you know, super into you know, alternative music, uh, punk rock, music, like what, what, whatever you want to call it, like uh, Depeche Mode and The Cure and Susie and the Banshees and all that shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, so Trey had a um, like a DJ night, right? Like a like a DJ set at this uh, teen club. I don't remember what it was called, but it was over. It was in Midtown somewhere, but anyway, it was just like this little warehouse, and the kids would go dance there. And uh, Trey had a, a a DJ night on on the bottom floor, and he called it like the the Rat Cellar or something like that. Okay. And so that that's how I first knew him. I was like, "Who's that guy in the eyeball T-shirt and the giant top hat?" <laughs> like, okay, whatever. And uh, yeah, so he would play all this industrial music. He'd play like oh, like Skinny Puppy or. Uh, Chem Lab was another one that he liked. Um, uh, Front two four two, right, and all this like just really hardcore shit. And I was like, ooh, I, I like this electronic thing. But he also play, he'd play like techno and some um, like eighties, you know, new wave or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I was like, oh, okay, that, that there's some interesting people, uh, you know, uh, in in Anchorage. So it kind of gave me a little bit of hope. And then, like I said, like a year later, I you know graduated and I started um, going out and seeing live music, and um, knew you know knew a couple of those guys from my school, and uh, yeah, got, uh, went to KRUA and uh, had the radio show, and so this was about the time that I met uh, that I met Rex, right? We he, we were both, um, well, he, I'm pretty sure he was starting to go to UAA. But he he didn't finish. But I was uh, going for a journalism degree, so we were both um, 
you know, working at the at the station, and we just got to talking, and he actually knew Trey, and I was like, oh, okay, I didn't know they knew each other, and he had his first uh, his first incarnation of his shop um, at that point. So this is yeah, ninety one, ninety two. Uh, this is before he even had the Reed Building, and uh, he uh, oh, I'm trying to remember the whole deal. But anyway, he had a uh, he had access to a warehouse, just like a like a like a like a storage warehouse. It wasn't anything fancy, and I I I, I might be getting the um, timeline mixed up, but he had a place called. Oh my God, he's gonna hate me. <laughs> I want to say it was P, not PSI. It's what? been twenty years. Yeah. Oh my God, I used to know this like the back of my hand. But anyway. <laughs> He had he had a warehouse that uh, we would just we would just go and uh, see live music and there was no stage there was nothing it was just you know the bands bring their um, oh industry thirteen that's there we what go it was. okay and that that one was Trey and Rex together so they yeah so people would just come and uh, you know bring all their their gear and whatnot and just plop it down in the middle of this concrete floor and uh, it was just fucking insane like every every you know uh weekend night there was a there was a band there and they just oh it was just so awesome i can't i can't even explain to you it's just the 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 noise the loudness the energy yeah uh ts scream was another band that was around then uh you could talk to scott ferris he'll have a lot to say um yeah so they ts scream also played a lot at uh industry 13 and they just packed the place. There was hundreds of kids in there, uh, at least from my recollection. <laughs> and like you, you, it was a um, like a garage type of deal, right? So you had like the giant uh, like industrial door that you slide up. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So yeah. they had to open those to get all of the uh, overflow. Like there, there were too many people in there, so they opened them up, and people are just like going out into the not, it's not even a parking lot it's just like gravel like a gravel area where people park and it, it was amazing i really i just really cherished that time you know it just sounds like there's there's so much information and at least from this end it's like you know you're grabbing on to these these memories and these fragments and these relationships the beginning the end, the middle, you know, and just trying to make sense of it. And, you know, it's, it's helping me make sense of this folder you sent me back in 2017. You know, you, you sent me this, <laughs> this big folder of all this research and all these interviews yeah. and audio you collected on the Alaska punk scene. And it looks like you were working on a book yeah the book that was uh it's made me kind of sad because i didn't get to uh finish it and i kind of okay so i had a i had a kind of a realization um a couple years ago like five or six years ago i i've just i've been away for too long um i i'm yeah so i left in i i really left in 90 eight and uh so i graduated college in 98 kind of tooled around the u.s kind of bummed about uh and then in 99 i came back <laughs> i just did like the classic alaska thing right i left and came back 
Okay. Left yeah. and came back. And in uh, in 2000, I uh, I finally left for good. Uh, like moved to Japan and and you know to do some teaching, and then I moved to Texas, and then way the way the fuck out to New York City and New Jersey. But yeah, it's been 22 years. I um, I I. I love it i consider all those people my my friends still like we all you know uh know each other on facebook now it's just it's kind of bizarre but anyway um i i just i thought it needed to be somebody else who who tells the story right like somebody else who picks up the baton and uh keeps it going because i would feel like a fraud why would you feel like a fraud um because i i can't really speak to anything after i mean really 99 because i was i i was busy trying to graduate college and i just kind of like 98 i just kind of checked out because hmm. uh truth be told doing the doing the zine and doing the radio show and going out to punk rock shows and drinking or whatever all the stuff i was <laughs> getting up to yeah uh it took me a long time to get through college and i uh <laughs> i spent a lot of semesters doing things that i shouldn't have been doing I don't want to say I moved on because I didn't like I'm I still loved the whole scene and the obviously the music but I kind of, I had other things I had to do with my life so I like I had to had to go so earlier you you were talking about just how much energy there was in the scene you know and yeah energy kind of begets energy yeah you know so if if somebody's energetic or if a scene is energetic it really propels everybody who's involved in the scene to also be energetic and creative and i wonder if since that energy was maybe lacking do you think that that kind of uh you know, dissipated like your your ambition for the book. It didn't seem like exciting anymore. I don't know. It's hmm. well, it's, it's kind of a multi part thing. Um, like really, it was okay. So so I'll, I'll just I'll just unpack that with a couple of different side things. So in two thousand and three. I think 2003 or four. Uh, so I got to talking with Jen, uh, Jen Gray. And she, she's another, another gal you want to talk to. Mm -hmm. uh, J E N N G R A Y. Uh, she was, she was friends with um, all of the mountain view kids and um, uh, chaos. IK. Uh, she, it was more of like, a, I, I don't know how to know how you call it. Just like a rowdy boozy, punk rock like family like a like a like a little crew that they had you know which was different from the what different from the Trey and rex crew which was different from the bmat crew and uh, it's just it's just you, you know what i mean like a little different crowd of people yeah yeah but like like i said we all knew each other and she and i had uh we've known each other for a long time and i was really into her uh her zine uh ak inc Mm -hmm. um, which she did in the early 2000s. But anyway, she and I were talking um, back then, like 20 years ago. And I was like, oh, Jen, like you should you should do this uh, this book with me because uh, I'm taking this taking this article that I wrote for the for the Anchorage Press and like expanding out to a book. And I was like, yeah, I, I can I can tackle, you know, everything up to 99. You can tackle you know, what's going on now. Cause you know, she still lives there. She still lives in Alaska and Anchorage and, and I didn't. So she's like, Oh yeah, let's do it. And we got all excited about it. And then, you know, 
life happens and you know stuff gets in the way and yeah like a couple more years go by and she she just wasn't able to do it and uh, like and at that point i was you know long long since left alaska and living out here and i just got kind of bummed out <laughs> um yeah it's just kind of hanging out <laughs> in midair at this point you know, I'm I'm looking at this question and I don't want to skip it. And I know that we had been talking about venues before, yeah. but it seems like there's some pretty interesting stories about some of these venues. And I think that maybe exploring some of those stories, talking about them can help shed some light on like, you know, the scene and also like how important these meeting places are, you know, because... Yeah. Having read your article, the article that we were just talking about, the decline of Northern civilization, it seems like each era, right? There's, I think you have it broken down into four different punk eras in Alaska. And each one is kind of centered around a venue. Yeah, that, that was probably the biggest um, frustration that, that, that I had. Hmm. Uh, during that whole time, okay. So, j just to just to give you a clear picture, um, so you you were correct when you said that the the scene just kind of hung together, like we all uh, supported each other, right? So, like mm -hmm. going back to the gigs thing, you'd go you'd go see um, Hopscotch for an example. Uh, T.C. Ottinger, uh, he's another guy you want to talk to. Uh, but his band at the time is called Hopscotch. Amazing, like roots rock, incredible. And everybody would turn out. So if you if you went to a, a, a show, you know, like any any band, any night, you'd see everybody else from every single other band in the audience. Mm -hmm. Right. So you'd see all of Liquid Band-Aid, all of Subjugated Youth, all of uh, whatever whatever Richie Benavidez band was that month you know like you'd see all of these different people uh just kind of congregating and, and watching each other um did Richie have a lot of bands <laughs> Richie always had a band Rich he, he he still has a band he's he's always doing something ridiculous and awesome okay um yeah well, and he's another one he he was friends with Trey and uh Rex and all them he was definitely in that crew um so the thing with the venues is like you'd always have people show up to, you know, support the bands, but it was the money that was that was the problem because like we were all just college kids or high school kids or you know, working class people who just didn't have money to to buy things and like a $5 cover was just about all you could do and the people that were running these venues were older and they, 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 they couldn't do it. Right. They, they couldn't keep it afloat because there was, there wasn't any money around. Like people paid what they could, but it's not like there was an established, um, rock venue. Right. So you'd have like coots and honestly that, that was probably what kept it all together. Um, because you'd have like a, an all ages show on a Friday mm -hmm. 
and then you'd have the 21 plus at Coots the next day, mm-hmm. right? So if like DOA came out or Jesus Lizard or whatever, like some national band came up, they would play one night at the all ages place and the next night at, at the bar. And you kind of, you kind of needed both, right? Like you needed both of those things. And it seemed like Anchorage never really had that. Like there was, there was always something on the verge of shutting down hmm. and all, all the cool shit lasted like a month, two months, and then it's gone. Hmm. And then that happens like a couple of times a year and you're like, all right, fuck it. I might as well go to a rundown warehouse and, you know, have my stuff there because it's not going to, it's not going to support itself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And it's so that it's kind of what I was getting at before. It's not. I don't know. It's it's it, Anchorage used to be a very inhospitable place to creative people. Um, people just didn't care, like if it wasn't fishing or hunting or I don't know, shooting guns, riding ATVs. People just didn't want to hear about it. I mean, and that's great. I I I love Alaskana. I, I love all that. Uh, like I'm very happy to have grown up in Alaska, but it's not. It's not always conducive to being different and being creative. And certainly people don't want to spend money on a teen club or a bar that's just going to shut down because nobody, like they, there's not enough people to come out and, and sustain it, you know? Was there any moment when, you know, there's a venue and it's doing really well and maybe the scene, maybe you specifically were like, oh my gosh, this is like, this is really picking up. This might continue. This might stay. There were a couple of really strong years. Um, yeah, I, I would say it, in my experience, in my memories, it seems like the early, mid and late 90s were pretty uh, okay for venue. Like it, it, it was really more of the early, the early times that were kind of lean. Okay. So like 91, 92, 93. Um, like honestly, dude, there, there was a lot of stuff outside. Um, a lot of people played at the uh, Kincaid Bunker, uh, like over in Kincaid Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, we, or, you know, people would play at the, um, there's a park downtown. I can't remember what the hell it's called. But there's a little park downtown uh, with like a little place where people can sit and people can put, set up their instruments and stuff. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of that. Um, gigs was a big, was a big part of it. Um, so in order, in order to understand the venue thing, you kind of have to understand the kind of groups that were around, like the whole kind of okay anchorage scene in general. Yeah. There's always like bluegrass or like folk, folk rock, mm-hmm. hippie stuff. Like, like Alaska will never tire for that, right? And that was like you'd find a billion, you know, tea cafes or, you know, espresso bars and stuff where you could find people playing that. Mm-hmm. And then you'd, you might have a couple of like alternative uh, rock groups sprinkled in there, but they're not really hardcore. They're just kind of like folky, you know, maybe a little bit edge, you know? Okay. But more on the rock side. And then you got um 
like the heavy metal stuff, the punk rock stuff. Uh, there, there were some like rap guys in there too. Um, and then, then you'd start getting into the gigs and the, uh, Egan center. Yeah. Like people would play there. Um, uh, if they were like kind of a bigger local group, uh, it, it, it's, it seems like there was a mixture of like quote unquote legitimate venues and then just whatever the hell people could scrape together, you know? So gigs was somewhere in the middle, I guess. Like you could tell that it wasn't going to fold immediately, but you're just kind of crossing your fingers and hoping that it would last. Yeah. You know? Anyway, I, I will say that it was more rough, like rough around the edges. Some of these names of the Alaska punk bands are great. You know, there's Angry Nuns, The Shocks, Filipino Skate haircut. Death, yeah, Filipino Haircut, <laughs> yeah. Psychedelic Skeletons, yeah, The Klingons. Klingons. Yeah. Oh, my God. There was um, this little, little side note, just, just like the most tiny of minutiae, but um, there was a record shop, kick-ass little record store. See, another instance of things not mm -hmm. being able to stay. There was an amazing little record store next to Rex's shop in the Reed Building on Fifth Avenue in 1995. Um, somehow they got a, a shipment, like they found a shipment of uh, Skate Death records and also Klingons. And I, I don't know if psychedelic skeletons were in there, but I can't, I can't overstate how much we just worshipped those guys, all those guys. So this is like 10 years on at this point, but it was like the Holy grail, right? Like everybody just like rushed in to get those records because they just like, nobody could find them. Like you could get maybe like a dubbed cassette tape or whatever. But I mean, it, it, from what, as far as I could tell and speak for myself and the people that I knew, we, like, we idolized those guys. Yeah. Like, like they got something together when it was e like even more desperate and even more uh, isolated than when we grew up, right? So we're like 80s. Can you imagine like trying to get a band together in the early 80s in Anchorage? Forget it. Like, like you, 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 you'd play in someone's like house party or something like that, right? Or you'd yeah. Like again, from what I read, like every now and again, you'd have a you'd have a venue and then it would shut down. And like they, they had their warehouse as well. Uh, the um, I, th I think they called it just the warehouse, but there was like all sorts of different spellings of it. It's like H A U S warehouse. Okay. But uh, yeah, or W H E R E. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, that was down in uh, Fairview and stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it it was. And what did the warehouse look like? Uh, I don't know. I was like 12 during that time. Oh, you were? Okay, so you were young. Yeah, no, I was entirely too young to have been in that scene. But uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, we did have, we had 12-year-olds in the 90s scene, believe it or not. Well, you had the underage shows too. That probably helped. Yeah, like really <laughs> tweeners, like small children. Okay. But uh, no, when I was 12, I was not going to punk shows and seeing Skate Death. I wish. What was it like to pick up that Skate Death 
or that psychedelic skeletons tape. I don't know. It's just really gratifying just knowing that there were people who had come before who, again, this sounds corny, but who, who, you know, walked the same streets that I walked, like went to this, you know, same, you know, possibly the same stores that I went to and just kind of, you know, grew up in Alaska, grew up in Anchorage and they, they understand my point of view mm -hmm. and they're, but they're also like interesting alternative people. Like you just, you just didn't see that. It, it's just not anything that people were interested in. Uh, yeah. So and again, like going back to the original thought, you, you can just kind of tell what somebody's about. Like you can look at their shoes and be like, Oh shit. You probably listened to Bauhaus. I'm going to be your friend, you know? Mm -hmm. And it really was like that. It's just kind of unfathomable, really. Um, yeah, and there there was no alternative radio for a long time until KRUA came along. That 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 was another that was another really really big thing that shouldn't be uh, overlooked. It's it, the the having a college radio station is just so important. Um, I, I I don't know if everything is going to be oh I don't want to sound like the old guy, but I don't know if people can really understand just how barren it was. Um, and you didn't have uh, trying, to, trying to explain it. So you, you had KWHL, mm -hmm. right? So you, you, you turn on the radio and you'd get like Journey and Foreigner and the thought of hearing Nirvana on the radio was just absurd. Like or, or hearing like uh, REM or the Butthole Surfers or anything that was like maybe even a little bit more mainstream alternative music. Yeah. You just didn't hear it. And then KRUA comes along and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, these are my people. Mm -hmm. Right. And you just get scads of, of just new new groups to hear. And it's just it's it, it, it opened my mind. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. And like when you're 18, 19. Like that's the prime time to figure out who you are musically. Mm -hmm. You know, what's interesting is, you know, I'm, and correct me if I'm, if I'm interpreting this incorrectly, but you're talking about the past, you know, nostalgically in some areas and kind of, um, I don't know, maybe a sense of acknowledgement in other areas, but then also talking about it like these were the the golden years these were the the good old days oh yeah but then at the same time you're saying that these were difficult times you know there's there's oh, just yeah. a lot of lot of competing things and i'm not absolutely pointing that out to call you out because i believe that as well you know we look at the past with these rose colored lenses but at the same time we don't we we only really remember the good stuff you know Right. Well, and so, yeah, so here, so here's a perfect example. I love New York. I love Manhattan. Uh, we, we live in New Jersey now, but we lived in, in the city for many, many years. Mm -hmm. It's like the difference between, <laughs> I'm just going to throw out a weird example. I, I, I don't even know if this band exists. I'm just going to make something up, but the, uh, the venue exists. You're like, Oh, bro, I'm going to go down and see Toe Jam tonight. 
And the Lower East Side. Oh, where are you going to go? Oh, I'm going to go to Fat Baby. No, fuck Fat Baby. No, let's go to this place. Okay. Oh, no, I think I'm just going to go watch Netflix. Right? That, that might be a conversation that you might hear. <laughs> yeah. Uh, compare that with shit. It's Friday. Uh, Green Eggs and Spam is playing in Spinard. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to take the bus. I'm going to fucking go there. I'm going to bring my camera and take pictures and talk to everybody. Yeah. All right. I'm going to write something for my zine. Yeah. I'm not going to there's no way I'm going to miss this because there's not another show for 3 weeks, right? Like that's the difference. And it's You mean because there was only like one thing going on in yes. Anchorage. There's literally one thing going on and you have to go otherwise you're going to miss it. Yeah. And just that urgency is not there's no urgency uh in an established place like New York City. I mean, maybe there is. Uh like I I dreamed about coming out here and experiencing the the culture out here, but you can't you can't discount the culture that we create. See, I, I was gonna say we, but I didn't really create it. They're the one like the musicians and artists and stuff created it. I just kind of chronicled it, you know. Um, but the 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 scene that they created and that I helped chronicle, it's magical. Um, I was talking with a, a friend of mine many many years ago when I lived in uh, San Francisco, and she was like, "Dude, you should be really proud of what you what what you guys accomplished, you know, especially growing up in a uh, you know such an isolated place." And I was like, yeah, you know what? You're right. Like, you're absolutely right. It was, it was like a moment in time that's never going to happen again like that. It's just like a little creative flash and then it's over, mm -hmm. you know? And, and then it had to, it, you got you to gotta move on because it's going to be something else, right? Like somebody else has their time now, you know? There was this band named the Exhumed who said they were disciples of the famous occultist, Aleister Crowley. Oh, Do you yeah. know if they were serious or was it just a way to market themselves? No, as far as I know, they were dead serious. I, uh, okay. I, I didn't know them because they were older than me, but um, <laughs> the, 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 my, my only connection with them is that I saw a dude in a leather jacket uh, one time. And I was like, oh, nice jacket. Like, what's the exude? And then that was it. But I'd, I'd never seen them. I don't even know what they look like. But <laughs> from all the <laughs> stuff I could read. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, like, we, we, we should talk about warning, warning fanzine. Okay, yeah. Um, 
Oh my God. Uh, yeah. So th that was, that was all I knew of them, but yeah, they were, as far as I could tell, they were serious. And it's funny that you mentioned occultism because, uh, I had a lot of friends who were into that, uh, as well in, um, in the nineties. Um, trying to, trying to think of how to, so they were into, um, like chaos magic. Um, they read a lot of like Robert Anton Wilson. Mm -hmm. Um, they're just like weird kids who took a lot of acid and read philosophy, but they were also in punk rock bands. Um, that, that was, that was a big thread that was going through, um, <laughs> half a dozen people's lives, but yeah, real interesting, interesting, uh, people. But anyway, um, so warning is a, is something that you should get your hands on. Okay. Um, so there's a guy named Frank Harlan, H-A-R-L-A-N. And he was like the grand poobah of uh, Alaskan music in the 80s, right? Through the through his zine. And my friend TC, who I mentioned before, uh, loaned me a bunch of, a bunch of them. Um, he gave me a whole stack and there's like four, four years worth. So from 82 to 86. Mm -hmm. It's just so badass. It was like local groups, uh, national groups. They had like, uh, they had interviews with skate death and next to black flag. And it was just like, again, all of this stuff, just like I'm soaking it up like a sponge. Yeah. And I, I read all those cover to cover and uh, read about being zoomed and all of that. Uh, it was part of my education. And, and yet another one of those things that caused me to, you know, miss my graduation by two years, three years. I was just too busy having fun. Yeah. <laughs> Learning about my local history. Okay, so uh, another another important thing is um, uh, record stores, right? Mm -hmm. So so on Sp Spinard and Benson, right, or Northern Lights, Benson, Spinard and Benson. Anyway, um, right there on the corner was a place called um, uh, Mammoth Music, and before it was Mammoth Music in the like eighty eight eighty nine, it was Robert Joe's, I think, Robert Joe's. Anyway. Uh, I'd always go there and get my cassette tapes <laughs> and um, like I would see all sorts of weird shit there. And apparently um, that's where all the punk rockers would go. And they had, they had warning there and they had all the like local music, but I, I didn't know. I had no idea what was going on. I was just like a teenage kid. So I crossed paths with it, but I hadn't read it for many more, you know, many years later. Mm -hmm. um, do you know what I mean? So like I was, you know, through my music interests um, as a teenager, like crossing paths with these people, but they didn't know me and I didn't know them, but we're just kind of, I don't know. It, it, does that make sense? Yeah, you were, you were around them, but, you know, you weren't involved. Yeah, like I was just too young. And then like once I came into my own, um, then I started... Like, so I started frequenting, um, like the Java joint, which was right across the street or, um, yeah. So, it's, um, the, 
the first time I came across the warning fanzine was um, like mid nineties. And uh, I wanted to just, just find out as much as I could about the local music scene. It was, um, it's not really an exaggeration, just exaggeration to say that I um, just kind of ate, breathed, slept the local music for, you know, two, three years. And uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it kind of hit me hard when, when everything just kind of fell apart. It's kind of, kind of bummed me out. Hmm. So did warning, you know, reading that zine, did it influence your decision to start your own zine? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, okay. I would, uh, well, let's hear, let's think. So I took stuff, just lock, stock, and barrel, and just like made a photocopy and cut it out and slapped it in my own zine. Um, since straight up thievery. Um, sorry, Frank, but uh, <laughs> that was like the early first couple of issues of the noise, noise, noise. So it must have been, yeah, TC must have given me that warning stuff in the '94. Anyway, yeah, I would just cut out little bits and pieces of it that I liked that I thought were funny. And, uh, you know, add it to my own writings and stuff and just go out to Kinko's and print that shit out. Yeah. Drop it off at Mammoth Music, drop it off at the, you know, other record stores and cafes and stuff. Sell it for a dollar. Yeah, like he was definitely a uh, instigator of my, uh, you know, journalistic fun. And this is Frank Harlan, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I wonder... When you started putting this thing together, you know, when you're kind of scrapbooking Frank Harlan's warning and maybe piecing it into your your own, um, you know, Frankenstein's monster, I wonder if you were actively thinking, like, I'm going to make my own zine, or were you actually just scrapbooking at first? Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, no, don't, yeah, don't, um, I, I, I don't want you to think I'm like a, you know, st stealing everything that he wrote. Now, it, it was just like, for an example, for an example, I would see like uh, a piece of art that somebody contributed to Frank Zine and like, uh, like he published it. I'd be like, oh, that, that's a nice, that's a nice skull or oh, that's, that's a great like old piece of clip art. I might take a little piece like that. Mm -hmm. um, or if there was a, skate death interview or like a picture of Henry Rollins that I liked, I would just like cut out little things and place them here and there. But it was, you know, most certainly 99.5% me. And then I would just crib things that I liked. Um, I also stole from Rolling Stone, <laughs> stole something. <laughs> um, honestly, dude, it was really just to fill pages. So like, I, I, I don't know if you can, I don't know if you can picture this before, <laughs> before the days of computers and, uh, or at least, you know, uh, having access to like, uh, desktop publishing, mm -hmm. I, I could have a, I could have an issue that was like multiples of four, mm -hmm. right? So it was four or it was eight or it was 16 pages, right? But if you had extra pages, like if you like typed out all your shit, put your pictures in there and you have extra pages, what are you going to do? Like, it just looks stupid to have an extra page. So you just take any old thing that you think looks good and you fill it up. You know what I mean? Yeah. So just like stuff like that. Um, yeah. Like I honestly, my, 
what I wanted to do was uh, write about local music. <laughs> like nobody was doing it. Literally nobody. And so I was like, fuck it, why not me? And it, it was, it got kind of weird after a while because it was all the same people in like five different bands. Okay. Do you know what I mean? So you'd have, so here's an example. You'd have, uh, what was the name? Okay. You'd have Contour Chair. That was the thing that Richie Benavides was doing that year, right? You'd have Contour Chair. And then you'd have Filipino Haircut. And then you'd have Cucumber Lang. And then you'd have, you know, Band X, right? You'd have like five different bands playing on one night, but it's literally the same four people and they switch instruments, right? Or then you'd have, you'd have somebody else coming to add a fifth and then it's a new band. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I just find myself talking to the same people um, on different nights, depending, depending on which group they're playing with. And it was just kind of absurd, but also really awesome because everyone was helping each other out. And once people see that there are bands and once people see that these bands are being written about and they get to comment on what's written, being written about and they, you know what I mean? Like they, they see something that they want to participate in and then it just kind of snowballs from there. Yeah. You know, but if, if the Anchorage Daily News and the Anchorage Times, like I think the Times is around then. Um, and, and by the way, the, the Anchorage Press coming to life was another huge fucking thing. Um, like you can't, you can't have a local scene without a, well, at least then you couldn't have a weekly scene without an alternative weekly newspaper. Mm -hmm. And I mean, can you imagine like you, you can't, you can't get the word out. Yeah. You don't know where the shows are. Yeah. I mean, no, no disrespect to the daily news, but that's not what they do. And you would never find any interview with any local music unless it's blues, unless it's a cover band, or unless it's fucking country. So again, nobody cares about what, what youth are doing. And it's just bullshit. <laughs> it made me so angry. So I was like, yeah, fuck it. Let's do this. And it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't like this just major thing. It was just me wanting to not be bored and, you know, do something that I thought was important. Yeah. And frankly, a lot of people have done it much better than me uh, after. And I'm just really thankful that I was there at all, you know? Mm hmm So you're writing for and producing Noise, Noise, Noise. How long does that last? Um, I started planning it in the winter of 94. Came out in December of 94. And then I put it to bed in October of 96. Um, mostly because I was <laughs> flunking out of UAA. Because uh, I was spending too much time on it. But I was just kind of unhappy uh, like there are a lot of bands breaking up and moving to Seattle or moving to Portland, uh, or just breaking up and not playing music anymore. 
and so like my thing like the thing i was really interested in was was coming to a close all right like all of the um i guess you could call it like more rockin bands okay just kind of up and left or they uh graduated and left so it was more more of like a I'm trying to think how to describe the like the late 90s it was more like like oh let, let's go let's go listen to dave matthews and put on patchouli <laughs> and go to the Girdwood Forest Fair. Okay. okay. It's great. I love it. Love Girdwood. I love Dave Matthews. But just wasn't your it's, scene. It's, it's not the same. Yeah. Okay. It's not the, actually I take it back. I don't love Dave Matthews. <laughs> I like Dave Matthews. <laughs> just to clarify. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but no, he's okay. He's good. Um, but yeah, no, it's just different. And um it just wasn't for me anymore. So I had to find something else. And I did. So that's good. There was another punk zine that came out and it had a disturbing transformation from a punk zine to one of white supremacy. Yeah, that was, that was, that was weird. Um, so again, uh, so TC, um, had a whole stack of stuff, um, that he let me borrow. And that was one of them. Um, what was the name of it? Vox Populi. Okay. So yeah, it started off as like a regular punk zine, but then like as the issues went on, I noticed that there was more like weird shit, just kind of ugly. Mm -hmm. uh, just like stuff that I could tell was not uh, anything that I wanted anything to do with. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was like just like conspiracy theory shit. And I was like, ugh, whatever. And then didn't really want to read uh, any more than that, but yeah, that, that was, that was, that was more of a thing from the mid to late eighties. I think, I think, um, was, was that the, was that's time. Um, so it was before my time, but I was able to, to read it, you know, via TC. Um, yeah, he, he had like a whole, uh, Alaska zine, um, archive. The reason I wrote that question down is because, you know, I'm I'm going through that big folder you sent me, you know, and yeah. I'm, I'm reading these interviews and I'm reading your article and I can tell that you are, you know, you're documenting all this stuff for posterity and because you love this scene and, you know, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes and finding that zine that vox populi mm -hmm. and coming across you know that that conspiracy white supremacist stuff i i i can imagine that it didn't feel very good yeah it's just kind of like a little i don't know just like a little, little thing that was introduced to the to my um i don't know alaska music fantasy I mean, I don't know. It's, yeah, it, it Alaska is a weird place. I mean, it, are, are, are you, are you originally from Alaska? Yeah. Born and raised. Yeah. In, in Anchorage or elsewhere? Anchorage. 
Yeah, because I mean, it's there's always there's always been some of that lurking around uh, in the early '90s. Um, just gonna throw a date out there. 90, 92, Let's say ninety two. There was a place called the Raging Cage, uh, <laughs> and there actually was a cage. It was pretty funny. Um, the, so it was this this uh, rock and roll venue on Spinard, and uh, it was just like brick, uh, like a cement brick little crap hole, basically. And they they everybody called it the racist cage because it was a known uh, skinhead hangout. Huh. <laughs> and uh, in the early 90s, particularly, uh, I'm told, that was really bad. So I was, again, as just a teenager, but uh, so I would go to the Raging Cage and we'd go see live music. And um, this guy I knew, Ted Spittler, uh, now he goes by Theo Spittler, uh, went to high school with him. He's friends with my sister. He had a band called uh, Heavy Season, think it was called but anyway I'd, I'd heard about it and i was like oh I, I know that guy and went to see the show <laughs> and i go in and there's giant dudes with shaved heads and like combat boots and like mm. what the fuck is this place and like they had the white suspenders or red suspenders um it was like okay this is this is going to be an interesting night <laughs> and the uh ted spittler's band was on the stage it was like the uh blues brothers you know where they have the they have the fence around the stage so the people couldn't fuck with them okay yeah just like throwing beer bottles at it and shit so it was like that and i was like oh my god like this there was a cage around this band so the audience couldn't get to them and this dude this giant dude like jumps up on it and he's just like starts shaking it and i'm like oh my god i'm gonna i'm gonna die <laughs> and it was so it was kind of exciting, actually, but uh, I I tried to stay away from these fucking racist idiots. But uh, anyway, yeah, the uh, the raging cage was the place, and you know non skinheaded people went there too. But it just kind of developed a reputation for being kind of gnarly, just kind of a rough place. Um, and so okay, so what your your original question was about the the uh the fella zine who who kind of went into vox popular yeah yeah so there was always kind of that element about um and with the raging cage uh in particular and then uh it seemed to die down maybe a little bit for a year <laughs> but then when rex had one of his uh uh, warehouses and so uh, this is off of uh, Brayton Drive by the orig original uh, Kaladi Brothers yeah um, so it was over there and some fucking dumb shits went and like broke a window in um, the shop next door and like and I'm, I'm not kidding you this 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 warehouse that Rex had was only open for three weeks because of these idiots mm. and uh, they were like a bunch of Jackass is wearing like flight jackets and bald and they're just like causing trouble and we're like, all right, like this shit's got to stop. And you'd hear about it on the um, like police reports and stuff. Um, so like that, that was just always kind of happening and, uh, you know, ruining it for everybody else. And then um, 
a really interesting thing happened a couple years on like you start seeing like uh non-racist skinheads like sharps skinheads against uh racial prejudice um i don't, I don't even know if they're still a thing but yeah and then you'd, you'd have all those meatheads out like battling each other um it was just a weird macho scene mm -hmm. um but yeah it's it's anchorage for you it's very um like everyone just kind of gets in the mix um at least back then there wasn't there weren't a lot of barriers between the scenes you know so again you'd get like a 12 year old kid in a in a room with a 30 year old man who's in a band and then a white power skinhead and some like alternative girl who just you know wants to listen to the cranberries and they'd all be in the same room and you're just like what the fuck is going on here <laughs> you know what i mean yeah and i'm just like whoa it just kind of blows your mind that's pretty wild didn't a band light themselves and their instruments on fire <laughs> yeah so you remember the people i was saying um they were into alistair crowley and like yeah chaos magic and stuff yeah that, that was them that was them so back in the late 90s there was uh you, you could play at the U, at the uh at the pub the campus pub at UAA it's, it's, it's kind of a, kind of a funny name because there wasn't alcohol they shouldn't have called it a pub but anyway the UAA pub had uh this little this cool little space down below like one of the um like campus uh, uh cafeterias right so you go down below it's this neat little room and you could plug in and it was a nice little space but these uh these guys they were in a band called uh ama american medical association okay or, or who was it anyway it, it was it was one of those one of those groups of the kids who are like really into um i'm, I'm not gonna do them justice but they they're into like discordianism and um uh, trying to i'm trying to think of how to describe it but anyway they were into just like weird philosophical shit or like avant-garde art movements or mm -hmm. like weird german uh occultists from the 19th century and shit you know just like stuff that nobody would be interested in but these guys like lived and breathed it and they just like they kind of like causing trouble like just like oh look what we can do and people are going to freak out yeah and and yeah people did freak out and they uh they lit they lit their uh it's like their amplifier on fire and they had a uh vacuum cleaner that they like they were driving it around on a remote control and they like doused it in gasoline and they're just like driving it around uh the bottom of this the uaa pub and we're like dude <laughs> and uh yeah they, they only got to play there once they, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah kicked yeah. out yeah but uh, and i'm pretty sure that uh they did they didn't allow too many more groups to play there so but uh, yeah that, that was an instance of causing some some chaos were there any other bands that were doing crazy stunts like that yeah so there was uh so again back to the rex and trey thing 
this 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 might have been what you were talking about um with the the other lighting on fire thing there's there's lots of fire around <laughs> in anchorage but uh so rex and trey had a band called um i'm gonna have to send you this in an email later because you're not gonna spell it right okay but it's called efson jibalabalja right don't don't try to spell it because you can't <laughs> please call them efson okay um so back to the industrial thing so trey my buddy who i first saw at the at the teen night uh uh dance venue right okay. back in the 1990 um he was really into industrial and so was rex so they got this thing together called efson efson jibalamalja which is just a nonsense word okay um so they were really into like throbbing gristle and stuff right and they're really into um Einstein's uh, in New Bowton. Uh, I hope I pronounced that right. But just like, like banging on shit, right? Like they, they're the kind of group that would have, for example, um, they'd take a like take a railroad tie, and they might find like a, like a, a, a drum, like an oil drum, right? Something something that sounds nice when you hit it, mm -hmm. and they're just like banging on an oil drum. Right, and then they douse the oil drum in fire, like in uh, gasoline. They light it on fire, and they're just like keep they like banging that oil drum, and then like Trey would be doing that, right? And then Rex would be like twisting the uh, uh, strings off of his bass guitar, and then they might like go back and like doodle around on a keyboard to get some different, uh, you know, trigger some different noise. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like. It's just ambient noise, but then it's this organic noise and then they're lighting something on fire and then they're like playing with the chicken or whatever the fuck they were doing. <laughs> and it's again, one of those weird situations where like, what, what's going on here? Like what's going to happen? Yeah. And so they, there was one time it, it, I don't remember if it was at uh, industry 13 or if it was at the, the place on Brayton where the skinheads shut it down. But anyway, one of those venues that they had, <laughs> and so Epson Jibalalja was playing and uh, they, they played so loud and the frequencies were so deep. Like somebody actually peed their pants <laughs> during this show. Oh man, really? And it was the kind, it was the kind of thing where like, if you were wearing, um, jewelry if you were in like earrings or nose ring like it would vibrate like it was that powerful yeah so they like they would do shit like that all the time um and no uh see i i, I don't want to call it a performance because it's not a performance like they were very very adamant that these aren't they weren't performances um but that's an, that's that's trey's story to tell but uh they were like it's performance art it's absolutely performance art. it's not music it's not it's 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 not um how, how did he describe it it like they're it's like a very philosophical fellow but he's it's it's just it is what it is it's art right it's not a it's not a commodity it's not something that um you can just easily slap a label on it's just it it is what it is it's what he does right but if you had to you know narrow it down it's something like industrial 
music performance art. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've I've never really experienced anything like that. It again, it was just one of those things. Like I'm sure, you know, somebody in San Francisco was doing something similar, or somebody in Chicago was doing something similar, but it it wasn't like that, and it wasn't mine, right? Like Epson is mine. It's Alaska's. It belongs to us. And, and, and no, nobody can take that away, right? It's something that Alaskans came up with and be, be fucking proud of that. And you haven't seen it before or since? Not really. I mean, it's just kind of special. Like, if you go back and you watch clips of, what was it called? It was this dude in um, Bay Area, I think it was. He would he would do this thing where he'd like it's kind of gross, but it was the the, the only thing that reminded me of Fson, Fson Jibalamalja. He would take like rabbits, for an example, and like a rabbit carcass, mm-hmm. uh, bones, everything. He would turn it into like a, a piece of art, and he would he would make it so you could move it. Like he would uh, like a puppet. Oh, yeah, Survival Research Laboratories. That was the name of it. Huh. I don't remember the guy's name that started. It's called Survival Research Laboratories. And uh, Trey and Rex would talk about them all the time. Um, so, yeah, just like weird interactions between physical objects and technology and music. And it was just more like a visceral thing, mm-hmm. right? So they, they were kind of working on that level. They were not a rock band. They were not, um, like they they weren't out to sell a T-shirt or anything like that. They were they're very very serious about what they did, and it's just just incredible. Like again, like they they were one of the ones. Like if if you knew that Fson was gonna play, everybody came out. Like everybody. Like they were legendary. You you can't like you you won't talk to anybody in the the local music scene from then who didn't know them and were blown away by them. I, I, I would, I would guess, I mean, I'm sure there are people out there that thought they were a load of shit, but I've never met them. <laughs> yeah. Like everyone I've ever talked to would be like, Oh fuck. Yeah. Yeah. That was a cool show. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's one, some of the happiest memories of my life. It's just, it's amazing. I can't, I just can't explain it. Can't explain it better than that. It's just a special time. So Frank Harlan hosted this late night show, right? Called Bomb Shelter Videos. And then yeah. that transformed into a show on public access called The No Wave Hour. Yeah. Yeah. So Frank did, um, I do mean to call him by his first name. Uh, we've only ever talked on the phone and, uh, um, not Zoom, but anyway, but we like FaceTime and stuff. And Frank <laughs> had the bomb shelter videos thing on um, the, uh, I guess it's like public access. It was like a, a, on the UHF uh, channel. Uh, so, it was, so it was called Catch Catch 22. Um, so it was a local uh, station, but you had to, like it wasn't like NBC or CBS or anything. You'd like tune in on a special uh device <laughs> like a I I I don't really understand it cuz it's really really old technology but he had this this punk rock show and uh it's actually how I first heard uh the clash it was on his show 
and I was like, oh, this guy's a mohawk. He's playing this music that I like. Yeah. And it was like, must have been 1983, 84. But I mean, I was a tiny child. But uh, I don't know. I just, I, I, I wanted MTV, but we didn't have cable. Yeah. So I was just farting around and was like, oh, what, what is this? And it, it wasn't just um, Frank's show that was on there. There was like Phil Collins videos and like, what else? Like Madonna. And I was like, okay, it's in black and white. And it's only about, you know, four, four inches square, but I'll take it. And then the show comes on, and I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, he had a mohawk. It was it was green, but I didn't know it because I had a black and white TV. And I was like, oh, yeah, I can hang with this. And, uh, yeah, it just kind of started from there. But then once, um, once I uh, got into college and stuff, I was like, oh, okay. Like, the, the Bomb Shelter Videos guy also did this zine. And then I started reading it, and I was like, okay, yeah, this is, this, this is where I want to be. And uh, yeah, later I'd heard that he, uh, when he moved down to Seattle, um, he started the No No Wave. Is that what it's called? No Wave. Anyway, yeah, but he he continued the uh, that sort of alternative music show in uh, in Seattle, and yeah, and he he knew all those all those guys as well, um, all the all the grunge folks from the late '80s. Because uh, he he moved down there like pretty much right after he stopped. Uh, warning, warning, fanzine. So like eighty six, eighty seven, uh, he moved down there, and just kind of got in on the ground floor with that too. It's just like, dude is in the right place at the right time. It's amazing. So yeah. When you think about these these punk outlets, the zines, the radio station KRUA, the television shows. What do you personally think was its influence on the Alaska punk scene? Without, without um, local radio, without local uh, music venues um, contributing, mm -hmm. you can't you can't have you can't have a local scene. It's um, it, it's really like everybody has to be all in, and uh, honestly, like you have to have money. Like you, you, mm. you, you have to have people in the community who have money and who are older and more established. Right. So like if you have a bunch of, you know, college aged kids that, 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 that want to play music and want to listen to music, or even if you're in your late twenties, like you're not going to have the, well, first of all, you're not going to have the money to do it and you're not going to have the maturity to carry it out the way it's supposed to be carried out, mm -hmm. right? Like you need, mm -hmm. I mean, I know it's a dirty word, but you need business people, right? You like, you need, you need people that are, that are not musicians and not artists and not creatives. You need, you need people who can hold down the fort mm -hmm. and people who can, you know, God, God bless them. They, they tried their absolute best, but they couldn't, the, the people that ran gigs couldn't keep it going. Like they, like they didn't run it into the ground, but it was the local music scene that just kind of killed it because it, you you can't you you couldn't keep something going for very long in Anchorage at that time because there was no creative infrastructure, if you like, mm -hmm. right? Because you can want to do a zine as uh, you know 
till the cows come home. But if there are no bands to write about, what's the point, mm-hmm. right? Or you you could have a, like you could say, yeah, I want to start a, you know, I want to start a rock band in Alaska. But if there's no place for you to play, that's not gonna, you know, shut down in a month. Then what's the fucking point, right? So you you have to have something that's going to stick around, that's going to support you, because you, like you're the one that's, you know, like you have two jobs and you're trying to play music and practice and you bought all these instruments and you have no money, right? Mm-hmm. You're trying to scrape it together. And honestly, you're trying to scrape it together so you can get the fuck out of Alaska and get to Seattle where there's an established scene and everybody does it. You feel like everybody was trying to do that. Nobody yes. was trying to stay in Anchorage or stay in Alaska. Everybody leaves. And honestly, that's that's the problem. That's a big, big problem. I mean, I, I love Alaska. I love Anchorage. But I had to go. Like, I had to leave. And it's always going to be my home. But year after year of things opening up, things shutting down, nothing is permanent. It burns you out. And, like, I, I felt really guilty, actually, for a long time. Um leaving Anchorage because there's just so much potential, but it never seemed like it was being, um, like there was just so much potential that wasn't being used. Like there's, you could, you can do so much with it, with the, just like even the way the town is laid out, like there's a perfect little downtown, there's the ship Creek area. There's all sorts of little things. You could make it something special, mm-hmm. but it just seems so daunting like there's just so many things going against it right and it's just it's it's hard it's, it's really hard and i i i crave it like i crave a scene like that like i've never and i, I talked i talk with my wife about this all the time like i lived in san francisco for a little bit and there, there was a scene there uh, i lived you know lived in jersey in new york I mean, obviously there's scenes here, but I mean, I'm older now and it's different, but like you cannot, like when you're trying to make like commercial music or like commercial art or something that's not like a little underground thing, like the, the, the vibe is different, right? Like none of the people that were in this music scene were doing it for money like and it wasn't it wasn't their career mm-hmm. it was just something they wanted to do and they did it and once people kind of started to i don't know like people got older they moved away or you know new people moved to town it it changed yeah i, I guess that's the best way i can put it it was just something special like you can't recreate it you can't i mean you can study it (laughs) you could talk about it analyze it Mm -hmm. but it was really just as an interesting mix of people um in a a, a town that really needed an outlet for young people um it was just kind of the perfect storm right do you still go see punk shows you know it's funny um i actually don't go see live music at all it's really weird. I think the last 
live music I saw, I want to say it was The Damned. Uh, probably my my favorite group, my second favorite group, The Damned or The Cure, vying for top position. But I saw The Damned like three or four years ago at uh, in uh, in Manhattan. But yeah, I just don't. I don't go see music anymore. What was that like when you saw The Damned? <laughs> oh my God, dude. They're incredible. They actually, um, they got their original members back together from the 70s. They're on, a, they're on a UK tour right now and everyone just says it's phenomenal. They're like, they're just kicking it out like they're 20 again. Um, but yeah, no, they're, they're just completely awe-inspiring. I love them so much. I I, uh, I I was in a little, little quote-unquote band mm-hmm. with some friends of mine in college. We uh, we played two shows. One was a uh, house party um, at my friend's university, and uh, they liked us, but we were so loud that they unplugged us, and I fell off my amplifier. Um, but uh, the other show was. Uh, this little outdoor deal, and we uh, we called the doomed right after the damned. Okay. And I was the only one that got the tattoo. Like we were all gonna go get tattoos, and I was the only one that did it. And now I'm stuck <laughs> with that fucking tattoo. But you, you don't have to put any of that in. It's just my little story. But yeah, I know oh, I, I loved them so much that I named my band after them and got the tattoo. You know, Josh, that does it for my questions, man. You know. I really appreciate you taking the time with me today to explain all this stuff. You know, I yeah. I really didn't know much outside of like the article of yours that I read and all of the stuff that was in that folder, those interviews about the Alaska punk scene. My friend and frequent guest on the podcast, Aaron Leggett, um, he you know, has been telling me you need to kind of explore the Alaska punk scene because it's really interesting. Yeah, it's it's really something. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I will add this. Those of you guys that are listening to this podcast, um, please go out and support your local music, support your local artists, go up to them, shake their hand and tell them to their face how much you appreciate them. That will make their day possibly make their life because nobody nobody appreciates that enough I, I don't think so please tell them you love them for more information about the anchorage museum visit anchoragemuseum.org this podcast was produced by me cody liska for the anchorage museum with additional help from julie decker Chattermark's music is produced by Keys Open Doors.